much he loves you. When I think about that song, the very first time I ever heard it, uh, it's like my a picture in my mind. I was traveling Highway 411, North Georgia, between Cartersville, Rome, Georgia, and I was, <laughs> as the old guy says, I was feeling so low a mosquito wouldn't bite me. I tell you, I, <laughs> I was feeling low. And uh, that song first uh, was played the first time I heard it on the radio. And I remember pulling to the side of Highway 411 there about Kingston, Georgia, and, and just just pouring my soul out to the Lord, and not so much for what I needed, but just that I wanted to thank Him for loving me. Amen? Boy, if you came today wondering if somebody loves you, I hope you can go home today saying, I know somebody does. His name is Jesus, and His love will never, ever change. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, is where we'll begin reading here in just a few moments. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, we're talking today about living with power when the pressure is on. And we'll talk about that this week and next week. This story has too much in this chapter to try to cover it all in one day. And uh, so we'll take a portion of it today, and Lord willing, a portion next week. Because this is so applicable to where we are in this culture is where we are at this point in history and even though this story is centuries old it has so much application for us in what we're dealing with as followers of Jesus Christ in our world today Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 if you found your place physically able stand with us a reading of God's word it'll be on the screen behind me if you uh, need that also as we read together. Notice what the Word of God says. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, its width was 6 cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And king Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, administrators, the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, and uh, the judges, magistrates, the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials um, of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nation, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. 
There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, you speak mildly to our hearts through your word today. Take this poor, lisping, stammering tongue of this preacher. God, may we show forth the praise of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. May lives be changed, and may the Son of God be glorified today is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Living with power when the pressure is on. As we concluded chapter 2 last week, there were several very interesting events that had transpired because God had given Nebuchadnezzar what he was looking for. God had given him the interpretation of his dream through Daniel. And Daniel took that interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. And once again, Nebuchadnezzar was amazed at the wisdom with which Daniel spoke and which he had. He also realized, as Daniel made it very clear, that no one under heaven has this ability. But the only way he was able to have the wisdom with which he had was that God had given it to him. Daniel gave him the news that his kingdom would not last, that one day his kingdom would end, that other kingdoms would end, but that God would set up a kingdom that would have no end. And, that his, and as he found out that his kingdom would not last forever, Nebuchadnezzar bowed, bowed before Daniel, and he said these words in verse 47 of chapter 2. He said, Truly your God is a God of gods, Lord of kings, and revealer of secrets. See, we also learned how Daniel, along with his three companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you'll remember when Daniel was promoted to a level of prominence among the province of Babylon that he petitioned the king on behalf of his friends. So now he, along with his three friends, had been promoted to these positions of prominence there in the province of Babylon. However, their positions would soon be confronted with another crisis. They had faced crisis before. They had faced difficulty of many different ways. But now they were about to face a particular crisis that would challenge them like none other from their past. I don't know about you, but most of us have lived long enough. We've all faced some level of crisis throughout our days. We have faced them individually. We face them as our families and even as a church, the body of Christ. The one that we're in today is one that is not only challenging individuals and families and corporations. It is challenging a country and it is challenging the body of Christ unlike we've never experienced in our history. So because of that, we see that there are tremendous levels of stress building among individuals, among families, among companies and corporations, among people in this country, and even in the church. I understand what that's like. Many of you are having the same levels of stress from career, family, maybe even the temptation toward evil. It's everywhere. It cannot be avoided, and everyone deals with this at some level or another. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego certainly had a very high stress level about to come into their lives, and how they would deal with it has so much to say to you and I today. 
because people today are affected in a variety of ways and we often overlook the stresses that come at us and we don't take them seriously and we suffer the effects of doing so. See, for many Christians, and I believe this is true, for many Christians, a lot of the stress that comes into our life today is a result of chasing after a lifestyle that has little or no eternal value. If we're not careful, we'll get so caught up in this world, we'll forget about the one that is to come. I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, the longer I live in this world, the more I get excited about the one that's to come. Amen? The more I anticipate the goodness of God and the glory of God in a place called glory, the longer I live in this world. So I want to encourage you today as you listen to the beginning parts of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you would understand that they were not chasing after temporary things. They were not looking at their level of prominence or their position in the province of Babylon to sustain them. They had something far greater, and might I say, someone far greater in their life. See, we see this happening all across our country today as we talk about Christian people chasing after lifestyles with little or no eternal significance, and we see it happening to many people in our families, our workplaces, our communities, and sadly, even within our churches. It's a reality that we must deal with, but it's bringing on a lot of stress that is related to things uh, that God certainly does not want us to carry. I, I read some stuff on this that I thought was interesting. I want to share a few things with you because what I'm about to share with you was some facts on stress pre-pandemic. I can only imagine how much higher the numbers would be during the pandemic. The Washington Post reported that 54% of all Americans are concerned about the stress level in their everyday lives. 62% of Americans say work has a significant impact on their stress level. Here's one. 73% of Americans name money as the number one factor that affects their stress level. Oh, my goodness. We see that. 65% uh, of Americans say that they are to the point of where they need to seek help for the coping with stress. Would well, stress only affect professionals? Does it only affect adults? Well, they tell us that highly stressed teenagers are twice as likely to smoke, drink, and get drunk and use illegal drugs as those who do not have high levels of stress, looking for outlets, looking for ways to fit in. Stress also contributes to life-threatening problems such as heart attacks, stroke, depression, and infection, as well as chronic aches and pains. We know this all too well in America, and these facts I give you were present before pandemic. We're living in a very difficult time where if we're not careful, we will be afraid to do or say or walk or talk or breathe because of everything we see going on around us. Yes, is the situation we're in one that must be taken seriously? Absolutely. But it is also one where we must remember that God is in control regardless of what's going on around us. There's a good application for that because over the course of your life, and over the course of your journey with Jesus, you will face times when you are stressed just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be. 
You will face times where you will be put to the test and you will not know what to do. So with all that we have before us, how does the Bible give us examples of people who live with power when the pressure is on? Oh, we could give many other examples other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could go back and look at our friend Nehemiah. We could look at Joseph from the book of Genesis. But from these three Hebrew young men in our text today, they're about to undergo some of the most intense stress of their life, much like what you and I are, in, are facing today and encountering. How would they respond, and how is their response going to help us respond? Well, it's not just how we respond today, but it's how we respond tomorrow and the next day and the next day because the challenges will continue. I put two major thoughts on the screen today. We'll go one at a time. Not, not a whole lot because I want to make sure you listen to what the Word says. But there are two major challenges that these boys face. And the first was they had a challenge to their worship. See, when we worship God, we do so based on our faith and eternal trust in Him. It's very important we understand that. You know, I've given you a couple of definitions for worship in the past that are very close to my heart. The one that I've loved most is the one I learned from uh, the book Life on Fire, Ronnie Floyd. Ronnie Floyd says that worship is an encounter with Jesus Christ that results in a lifestyle change. Max Lucado said that worship is the thank you that cannot be silenced. I like both of those definitions. Really good. But when we encounter Christ that results in a lifestyle change, we do so based on faith and our trust in Him. When we're tempted to deny our faith, we must remember a very important test. Because listen, if you have not been tempted to deny your faith, let me just encourage you, if you live long enough in this world, you will. And when you are tempted to do so, there's a very important test that you must implement. And I learned this from Warren Wiersbe. Here's what he said. The devil tempts us to destroy our faith, but God tests us to develop our faith. That's a very important part of the test. The devil tempts you. That means lures you away toward evil, tempts with evil, in order that he might destroy your faith and confidence in a holy God. But a holy God does just the opposite. He doesn't tempt us toward evil to destroy us. He tests us. Big difference. God doesn't tempt us toward evil in order to destroy us. He tests us and allows us to face tests that he might develop us and he might make us to be more like his dear son. That is the will of God for every one of you. Did you know that? It's right from the word of God. It is God's will that every one of his children who have been born again, washed in the blood, would be conformed to the image of his dear son. That's God's will. That's what he wants for you. So how does he have that happen? That happens when he allows tests to come into your life that develop you to be more like Jesus. But there's a second part of the test. And that's this. False faith withers in a time of trial, but true faith takes deeper roots, it grows, and it brings glory to God. False faith withers in a time of trial. Remember that. But true faith takes deeper roots. 
I remember reading this book one time about this vine dresser. I was studying John chapter 15 and studying about the vine, the true vine. He's the vine, we're the branches. And I was reading this book about the, this vine dresser. It's called the Venetian vine dresser. And he was talking about the different types of grapes and roots and fruits and all this kind of stuff. And they asked him, said, how dangerous is drought for your vines? He said, well, drought's never a great thing, but sometimes it's necessary. He says, because if there was never a drought, the roots would never have to go deeper to find water. Oh, that's a good, I, that's a good thought right there. They never had to go deeper to find water. Hey, listen to me, church. It could be that in this time that you and I are facing, God is teaching you and I to allow our roots to go deeper into the rich soil of the Word of God that we might find water for our thirsty soul. Man, Marty, that was worth coming to church for today. Amen? To know that. All right, what's, what's important is that false faith withers, but true faith gets deeper roots, and it grows, and it brings glory to God. Do you know that's why you're here today? God has saved you. If you're a child of God, God has saved you for the express purpose of bringing glory to Him. If that wasn't His purpose, the moment He saved you, He just took you out on heaven. Amen. But you know what? He wants you to go deeper. He wants you to develop. And He wants to see you grow and bring glory to Him. So here's the question we got to ask. If our faith is so important, why would God allow that faith to be tested the way he does? Well, Adrian Rogers used to say this. He'd say, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. That's good, amen? You know, a lot of people don't like for you to ask questions about their false religion. It's because it can't be trusted. But when it's the word of God, it can always be trusted. Now, think back to our friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in chapter 2, things are looking good again. But between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, there's a time period of about 20 years that takes place in between those writings. At the end of chapter 2, they're promoted. At the beginning of chapter 3, they're about to face great trials. So at this time, here's what Nebuchadnezzar does. He commanded that an image of gold would be erected and it would be built in the plain of Dura near Babylon. Now, the plain of Dura is a very important place. It was a very walled, well walled in place. There were several sites around Babylon that bore this name. But this particular location was in a specific location six miles south of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar, who had reigned 40 years, and listen, never lost a battle in 40 years. And notice what he did. He wanted this structure dedicated to himself because he wanted that structure to outlast the ages. He wanted that structure to be around even if his kingdom was not. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. His heart was filled with pride, but even though his heart was filled with pride, he lived in fear. We know people like that all the time that try to put on a big front and act like they're rough, tough, and hard to bluff, but inside they are scared to death. Nebuchadnezzar was this guy. He was trying to put on a big front. He was filled with pride, but he lived in fear. And here's what his plan was. 
His plan was is that he, listen to this, this sounds crazy, but here's his plan. That he would unite the people based on a religion of fear. <laughs> he would make everybody scared of him, and everybody scared of what not to do, and that was supposed to bring people together. Friend, I want you to hear me today. That's not how people come together and rally around a cause. We don't rally around a cause because of fear. We rally around a cause because we have true faith and a true God. But what Nebuchadnezzar was doing is he was using a religion of fear to unite people, and it never works. His leadership style of dictatorship never works. It's such a contrast to what we read about Jesus because Jesus' leadership style was one of servant leadership, the one that we must model and follow. But Nebuchadnezzar was not that way. He wanted to spread fear. So in order to persuade the people to worship the golden image, here's what he did. He made a commandment. He said, if anybody doesn't fall down and worship this image at the sound of all these musical instruments, then we're just going to throw you in the fire. Nothing serious. Just either bow down. You don't want to go in the fire, bow down. If you don't bow down, you're going in the fire, no middle ground, whichever way you go. Now, I know what some of you would say. That's crazy. There's no way I would bow down to a golden image, but I want you to hear me. We need to be very careful when we say things like that because I'm here to tell you today, there are a lot of people in our country that profess to even know Jesus that if something came along that would preserve their way of life, they would follow it and renounce Jesus in a heartbeat. You know what it comes back to? It doesn't just come back to why we worship, but it comes back to who we worship and how we worship. Now, let me think about that for a minute. I was reading a story about Matt Redmond. Y'all ever heard of him? He's a prolific songwriter, much like Chris Tomlin. Matt Redmond talked about his church, and he realized something was a little bit different. And in the late 1990s, his pastor came in one Sunday and he had this question. He said, when you come through the doors on Sunday, what are you bringing with you as an offering to God? <laughs> Nobody had much of an answer, so the pastor had noticed some things. He had noticed that the church was missing the focus of worship. He noticed that they were worshiping the music they were worshiping a lot of things other than God. So what did he do? He took some real bold steps. He took the sound system out, took the band off the stage, and he called the people back to real worship. He called them back to the basics of worship. He called them back to a relationship with God. And here's what he told the church. And listen, it takes boldness from heaven to do this. He said, church, we've lost our way. And he said, the only way we're going to get back on the right way is if we strip away every crutch and every replacement for the worship of the one true God. Well, during that time for several weeks, they had no music. Y'all won't believe this, but when Jesus taught in the synagogue, Gold City did not open up for him. Big Daddy Weave did not come for the intermission. When Jesus taught, the Word of God. There was nothing spectacular or magnificent going on, but there was a focus on the Word of God. After this season of time, you know, Matt Redman, being the songwriter that he is, God began to stir in his heart about what God was teaching him, what God was teaching his church, and he wrote these words to a song I bet you'll know. 
He said, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. He said, I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You're searching much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Here's what the chorus says. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. So after a season of regaining the focus, sound system was returned, the band returned, and Matt Redman made this statement about that season in his church. He said, we gained a new perspective that worship is all about Jesus. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if I can help you with anything in this time that we're going through, I pray that you will be refocused in your heart and mind to remember that your worship, whether it's private or corporate, it's all about Jesus. And Matt goes on to say this. He says, And Jesus commands a response in the depths of our souls, no matter what the circumstances or setting. He commands a response. There's a response to God in worship. And he says he commands that no matter the circumstances setting. Harry Ironside said this, he said, a heart filled with Christ gives for the sweetest music that ever reaches the ear of God the Father. You know what it takes? A heart that is filled with Christ. That takes us back to this question about our three Hebrew friends. How could they remain true? How when everybody else bowed how could they remain true to God instead of just follow the crowd? i tell you how. Because they settled the account a long time before the challenge came. They didn't wait till the challenge came up. They settled it years in the past. So when the challenge came, it was no longer an issue for them what they were going to do. They didn't have to even gather together and have a three-person committee meeting. They may not have even been standing near each other, but it was very clear when others bowed, those three remained standing. They were unmoved by the mockery of other people. They were not concerned with the pressure from their peers. You know, some people believe that peer pressure goes away when you graduate high school. <laughs> Ain't that something? No, no, no. No, it stays with you. And people continue to try to pressure you by their own uh, things that they think are important instead of the principles that guide your life. Uh, no, hear me. Hear me clearly. They weren't moved by the mockery of others. They were motivated by faith. And this faith gave them power when the pressure was on. And a challenge to their worship. You know what? In our lifetime, we could very well have greater challenges to our worship than we ever thought. And the question is, is will we stay true or will we crumble? Here's a second challenge they had. They had a challenge to their witness. It wasn't just their worship, but their witness. Notice verse 8. Therefore, 
At that time, what? When the music started playing, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. These three Hebrew men were challenged to denounce their faith in God by bowing before a golden image. But remember, when everyone else was bowing, they were standing tall. They stood tall in the faith that all of their circumstances were within God's control. See, they didn't stand tall because they were tough. They didn't stand tall because they even had deep conviction. They stood tall because they believed that God would be faithful regardless of the outcome. Reminds me of an old hymn from years gone by. Still speaks to my soul. Page 162 in the old Redback Church hymnal says these words. I care not today what the morrow may bring. If shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth over everything. And all of my worries is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above. Trusting, confide in his great love. Then all the sweet old ladies on the front would go, From all harm saved. Y'all remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and sheltering all. Oh, but it says, I'm living by faith, and I feel no alarm. You know, they didn't have a hymn book ready to sing and encourage them. They, they didn't have nothing. They didn't have no inspirational stuff. Nothing at all. I was telling them this morning in early service, I had something in my pocket here. I said, I think I still got them. Yeah, look here. Oh, 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 oh. Y'all have loose stuff in your pocket? Yeah, right here. Anybody know what these are? Anybody got any of these? Harrison's got them. He's out on me. Okay, all right. I'll get you. <laughs> these are the greatest inventions since the foundation of the world. Now, look here. If you grew up my day and time, which, you know, was advanced to some of you and not advanced to others, you had a little radio with a little thing over here beside your bed, and you could put your cassette tape. And for you young people, ask your mama what that is after church, okay? You put your cassette tape, and you put it on record, and you kept it paused. So when they played a cool song on the radio, you knock the pause off, and that's how you got your music. Piracy, right? I mean, we were pirating music right off the radio. Right? But yeah, you know, one one year I've ever got me some headphones, and, and man, they were huge, <laughs> and they had this big wire and jack. You know, these are things right here. They ain't got no wires on, and you can put them in your ears, and it'll play music off your phone. Marty, did you know that? Marty's got a smartphone now. Y'all just want y'all to know. National security is at risk, but Marty has a smartphone. Look at, <laughs> yeah, take him out. Okay, so Marty. I could Bluetooth in your phone. Bluetooth, this is awesome, okay? You could click your Bluetooth on, I could click mine, it'd go pairing, and it would uh, and it would hook in, and I could listen to all your cool music. You probably got some Eagles. Eagles? Like Little Don Henley. Okay, just check it out. Stay with me, Marty. Don't get scared. I ain't gonna hurt you, okay? All right, you got some Eagles. I'm on a Leonard Skinner. Little Beatles. I saw her standing there. I mean, I can do it. All right, so anyhow. So, all right, a little thing here. I put these in my ears when I'm walking. And I put on some real spiritual hymns. 
like the soundtrack of Rocky IV. Remember that? And uh, <laughs> if you're like me, a child of the 70s and a teenager of the 80s, Rocky IV is probably the most coolest movie ever. I'll never forget being in the theater at the Chee Hall Cinema when Rocky's getting beat by the Russian. All right, this is in the middle of the Cold War, right? Reagan years. He's getting beat by the Russian. And finally, Rocky punches him in the gut. And the whole theater roared. And then when the Russians started bleeding, everybody thought we were fighting. I mean, it was, it was awesome. But anyhow, so I'm listening to the Rocky Four hymns. There ain't no easy way out, you know. And I said, anyhow, so the past few days, though, I was talking to the Lord. The Lord said, Brad, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to turn your headphones off. And I want you to just well, let me talk to you. And he said, you know what, son? And that's what he calls us because we are his sons. He said, I want you to talk to me. So during this time, I'm walking, and, I, and I'm talking to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I just really, Lord, I just want to pour my heart out to you. I really believe one of the greatest things that can happen on the face of this earth, especially to the United States of America right now, and I believe it'd bring ultimate glory to your name, that if overnight... This COVID-19 virus would disappear. And we could see it all across the airwaves and all across the news stations, even the ones that don't even like you, that, that would have to say, we can't explain this other than that God intervened on our behalf. God, I believe that right there. Lord, that'd be awesome. And I'm just praying you make it happen. You ever remember talking to your parent, your dad, whatever, and you give them this spill and they just get silent? And you don't know what that silence means? <laughs> Sometimes that's the way it is when you talk to the Lord. Like, Lord, you know, this but then I really believe, and if you walk with God, you know what I'm talking about. We know when he speaks. We know. It's not something that I heard with my ears, but something I know through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's ministry of my soul as a son. Oh, that would be awesome. That would bring great glory. But son, you got to get your eyes on a bigger picture. Could it be sometimes that as we go through these things, we think things would be just great if God would do this, but what God wants to do is even greater than what we thought. He said, son, I'm working this for my glory, and I've not left you comfortless, and I've not forgot my people, and I've not forgot anything at all. Y'all are the apple of my eye. But what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to bring my people back to the heart of worship, trying to bring my people to stop focusing on externals and get really committed to their relationship. Son, I can work this, and I'm working but what I'm doing is even greater than what you're thinking. <laughs> That's what it means to live by faith. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, faith means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us, the circumstances around us, or the consequences before us. Let me say it again. Faith is obeying God regardless of the feelings within us. It ain't about how you feel. You ever hear people this? Yeah, I don't know. I just don't feel it. It ain't about your feelings. You're not saved by your feelings. You're not kept saved by your feelings. You will not be eternally saved by your feelings. Your feelings should not be what motivates your life. 
He says, regardless of the feelings within us or the circumstances around us, I can't control the circumstances, neither can you, or the consequences before us. While others were bowing, <laughs> something remarkably different about these three Hebrew men. Remember, they're men now. They were teenagers when they come. This is 20 years later. Something remarkably were different about them because they refused to be like everybody else. They refused to bow. So guess what happened? A group of Chaldeans, the unbelievers, they were watching, lurking, and waiting. What were they waiting for? Any opportunity to accuse these foreigners because these boys from Judah who came here as exiles have now been promoted to levels of prominence and authority above any of these guys that are about to accuse them. Do you know what? They're jealous. They're jealous. You know what? I'd like to tell you jealousy ain't never made its way into the church. That'd be one of the biggest lies since the Garden of Eden, but it has. I see some of the most jealous people on the face of this earth, the preachers. It drives me nuts. Preachers jealous of one another. I don't understand it. They ain't one. I mean, they ain't, why would you want to be jealous of preachers? Most of them are ugly anyhow. <laughs> you don't believe it? We used to have a wall full of pictures. Ugly preachers. Just golly. First Corinthians chapter 1. So true. Not many wives. Not many handsome are chosen. But anyhow, but I, and I'm in that number, so don't get me wrong. I'm just saying jealousy. They were about to be accused by these guys because they were jealous of their position. So here's, here's something we need to know. Here's how you can apply that. Evil unbelievers, you know what they're doing? They're always looking for opportunities to falsely accuse believers of wrongdoing. Always. Why do they do that? Because they have a leader. As much as followers of Jesus Christ have a leader in the Lord Jesus himself, and dwelt with the person of the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers have a leader too, and his name is the devil. He's our real enemy. It's not the unbeliever that's our enemy, it's the one who's leading them. The devil is our enemy. Here's what the Bible says about him. The Bible calls him an accuser of the brethren. Now, now hear me. The reason that these unbelievers were accusing true followers of God is because they were under the command of their leader who is an accuser of the brethren. See, but all these Chaldeans would soon to find out something. They would find out that the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to experience was faith in a real and true God. The challenge to their worship was one thing, but the challenge to their witness would come down to who were they going to trust when the pressure was on. I think about all the times people have tried to use pressure points, me as a pastor and things like that. I had a man in my first church told me, he said, you don't do what I say, I'm going to withhold my tithe. And I want you to know my tithe pays your salary. <laughs> I wasn't quite as polished as I am now in those days. And I said to him that he could keep it, <laughs> that the Lord was the one that's going to take care of me Regardless, and I was going to trust the Lord, and if he thought that him withholding would keep me and starve me to death, then he should keep it. And I want y'all to know, it didn't work. 
I didn't miss anything, right? You know, there are people that try to do stuff like that. And it's crazy. It's, dumb, it's, it's, it's ludicrous, but it happens. Who are we going to trust when the pressure's on? When a person lives by faith, here's, here's something you need to know. They're not frightened by threats. They're not impressed by crowds, nor are they swayed by popular opinion. Not frightened by threats, impressed by crowds, or swayed by popular opinion. Here's what I believe it all boils down to. These boys have been taught something that you and I know all too well. When Moses was leading God's people out of bondage in Egypt, along the journey, God called him on the mountain, remember? And he gave him ten what we call commandments. Those ten commandments would be the law, and they would be the guiding judiciary garment, uh, document for the ages, especially for those people. And in those commandments, Exodus chapter 20, here's what verse 3 says. You shall have no other gods before me. And he goes on to say this. And you shall not bow down and serve them. Oh, wait. Preacher, that is the law. Jesus got rid of the law. Oh, oh, hold up. Jesus himself said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Amen? And I want you to know, as much as anybody in this room today, I'm grateful to God that I was born and have lived in the day of grace. Amen? But this commandment is still reeling people of God today you shall have no other gods before me now let's take this and I'm done don't you think that a lot of the problems that we're facing in our culture today would cease today if we obeyed those few words you shall have no other gods before me now wait, you say, preacher, I don't have a wooden image, I don't have a graven image, I don't have a stone image, I don't have anything that I bow down and worship over God. Really? It doesn't have to be graven, it doesn't have to be wood, it doesn't have to be stone, but anything or anybody we put in higher regard than our relationship with God. You know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood out? Because they determined in their heart they would have no other gods before him. Not Nebuchadnezzar, not a statue, not even the threats of the Chaldeans. God was still their God. So how are we going to live with power? And the pressure intensifies. And listen to me, it will. If we have to settle that there are no other gods before us. 
Father, in Jesus' name. I just want to thank you so much for your word. God, I want to thank you for examples in Scripture of people just like me and just like the people in this room who were tempted to compromise not only their personal integrity but their commitment to God. But yet, they stood out instead of blended in. God, help us in this culture to not blend in. Help us to be deeply committed and convicted by Scripture that there are no other gods before you. There's nothing in this world worth living for. There's certainly no one worth dying for except for the one who went to the cross and died in our place. Help us, God, to be a generation that makes a difference and doesn't just fit in pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way for a few minutes before we dismiss. A um, couple things. Think about people you know this week who you're not sure if they have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you are sure and you know they don't. If you kind of been waiting on a good time to witness to them, now would be good. And I'll tell you why because the Lord Jesus is soon to come for his church. I don't know when that'll be. I've been preaching that since 1986, and I'll preach it till it becomes a reality or he takes me home first. The Lord Jesus is coming for his church. There's too much coming into place. Boy, I tell you, we can talk, I can talk for hours about the things we see happening in our world that are just literally paving, paving bricks on the way to the return of the Lord. He's coming for his church. There's great tribulation coming to this world. If there's somebody you love, somebody you know, or somebody you know loves somebody that you know that loves somebody you know you know, now is the time to tell them about Jesus. Say, I don't know everything to say. I'm afraid I'll make a mistake. Let me just remind you the words of Bill Fay, who wrote Share Jesus Without Fear. He said this, God can use our mistakes. God can use our mess-ups. But the one thing God cannot use is our silence. If there's ever been a time to be vocal about the gospel, it's now. If there's ever a time to strip the silence and share the gospel, it's now. So don't wait. Keep sharing. For you personally, if you find whatever, anything you need from the Lord, if you have decisions you need to make, we're here. We stay here after every service. Our number's on the screen. Please feel free to call us. We'll be glad to talk to you. I know we're still in a thing. If you watch the news, it don't look good, right? Cases and testing, everything's going up. And, you know, and part of this stuff we can't do anything about. We don't know what this week holds, but I do know who holds this week. So let me encourage you, you know, stay informed, be careful, be vigilant, wash your hands, do all that kind of stuff. But limit how much you listen to the media and spend more time with the master to help you, okay? I'm not against the media. Some of it I am, but I'm not against it. I'm just, I mean, I'm not preaching about don't watch the news. I'm not like that. Y'all know I'm not. That's, I'm just saying be careful. 
because it'll have you afraid to breathe. But know this, just as much as our friends kept standing, everybody else bowed, they did so because they settled a long time ago that God would be true and that nothing else mattered. So I want to encourage you to do that in this coming week. And do remember this, know that you're loved and there ain't a thing you can do about it. Keep up with us this week. We're having our deacons meet this afternoon to get things ready for our next month. You know, we kind of had everything through July. We'll be putting out some information this week through video. We'll be sending out some letters this week to kind of keep everybody abreast. You know, we're getting to the time where church year changes, and there's a whole lot of stuff that's going to have to be as it is for a while till we know, you know, how it's going to shake out. And so we'll be communicating a lot of that to you in the next few days and coming weeks. So please pay close attention to that. Family deacons will probably be reaching out and having in contact with families. And let's get a follow-up on that as we did earlier in the pandemic. Because we want to stay in touch. And if you're watching by video, um, by the Internet, know we love you. God bless you. We're, please know we're everybody. We're one family. Whether we're over the Internet or in this building, we're one family. We're grateful to God for everybody. God's going to lead us through this thing. And we get to the other side, we're going to see a lot of things we don't see today. But I do know this, regardless whether we get to the other side or what the other side looks like, I know we're closer every breath we take to glory than we've ever been. And people who don't know Jesus are closer to eternity without him than they've ever been. So let's keep sharing, let's keep loving, let's keep lifting each other up, let's keep praying for one another, let's be God's people. Just remember, offering buckets are at the doors on your way out, come and giving online, mailing in, whichever way you choose is fine. Please continue to be faithful, because in doing so, it helps us continue this ministry and this mission God's got us on together, okay? I mean that. It has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with him. I can't believe he lets me be a part of his church. I really am so amazed that God would let me do that and I want to certainly exalt him in all we do. So remember those things this week. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. Remember you love. God loves you. I love you. Nothing you can do about it. And we're going to pray that you have a great week and tell somebody about Jesus out there this week.